Okay, how am I going to live every day in this culture? How am I going to react to what's going on in culture? And how am I going to be faithful to God and to the stewardship, the, the, the faithfulness that God wants me to have with my neighbors, with the people at work, with people who I know in my family? How do we live out this faith in this environment? And Daniel gives us an incredible story about how to do that. And so we look at the, the whole book, it's like the first half of the book was about stories, incredible stories, like the fiery furnace and, and Daniel in the lion's den and some great, great stories. And then the last half of the book is kind of about prophecy. It's about the f future, future events. Daniel sees some visions and has some dreams and, and he begins to ask what these dreams are all about. And so uh, if you look at, chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, you will see various dreams, various um, uh, 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 strange beasts and occurrences. In, in, in chapter 7, you see four different beasts, a lion, a bear, um, there's a leopard with wings on it, and, and, and it's interesting. Then there's this crazy, like, super beast, like, with iron teeth, and it's just crazy, and he sees all this, these things, and, he, and he's trying to figure out what it is, and it's very easy, actually. As, as Bible scholars have gone through it, it's easy to see that there is history that unfolds, and each of these visions, for instance, each of these beasts represents a, an empire, right? And so you've got like, you've got like the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. You can, actually, you can actually see it in Daniel's dreams. If you want to study that, I encourage you to do that. It's fascinating. It's really amazing. And then there's some things that are in the future that Daniel sees that people aren't quite sure, like, what is it and how does it work? And there's a lot of interpretation. We would call this second half of Daniel's book apocalyptic literature. Yes, comes from the word apocalypse. Like the apocalypse is upon us and, and, and this is like the end of days. There are no zombies in Daniel, but there is a, a futuristic kind of looking at visions and dreams and lots of strange ideas. And so Daniel sees the future and we're gonna look at chapter 12 as a way to kind of wrap up all these visions and dreams that he has seen. Uh, we're not talking about bad pizza. We're talking about the Spirit of God speaking to Daniel, right? And so, so sometimes when you look at Daniel, people get really excited about something called eschatology. That might be a new word for some of you, eschatology. This is a sort of end times theology, all right? And, and eschatology has a lot of uh, twists and turns, and people uh, go through a, a, a lot of angst about what's going to happen and when is Jesus going to come back and what are we going to have to go through and how's, how's everything in the world going to come to a culmination. And listen, Christians are not the only ones who think about this. You know, are, are you ever heard of Nostradamus? Nostradamus, he, this, is, this, this guy had all these visions. The, the world is fascinated at his visions. I don't know if you remember this, but as a child, I, I was... Um, I got connected to a film called A Thief in the Night. 
How many people ever saw a thief in the night? Do you remember a thief in the night? Like, like 12 of you. Okay. Yeah. That means we're all really old. It was in the seventies and it was this, I was a child in the seventies and there was this crazy thing about the rapture and people disappearing and, and, and cars driving off the road and crazy stuff happening. It was like, think of, think of, uh, the, remember the movie 2012? Nobody knows that movie either. Okay, never mind. 2012 is about the apocalypse and the end of the world, and it's incredible. But, but this was the 1970s version. Terrible, uh, like, acting and terrible, you know, like, yeah, terrible haircuts, terrible clothes. It was, it, was, it was really weird. But I remember watching that movie. I was scared to death. And then we've had all these, these, this series, this Left Behind series. You ever read the Left Behind books? Left Behind books is really, like, one of these, like, narrow theological views of what's going to happen. There are so many other ways to interpret the scriptures and what's going to happen. <laughs> she was supposed to wait till I got the, the line. <laughs> but, but here's, remember the movies, the Left Behind movies? Ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Cameron, here he is. Kirk Cameron, Growing Pains. You know, it's kind of like this guy, he, he did all these movies and these movies were horrible. They were so bad. And, and so it's like we can't make an end of the world movie as Christians. I don't know what the deal is. Anytime we do it, we fail. So I just think we should stop. But I think it betrays some of our biases, the way we read into scripture and the way we read into history, what we think about the end times. And, uh, and so uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what J Jesus said. Because I remember as a child, like I had just seen that movie, A Thief in the Knife, and I, and I was... I, was, I remember driving to my grandma's house uh, in the back seat of the car. My parents were in the front seat. We're driving to grandma's house through the Columbia Gorge in Oregon. The, the, the Columbia River is like this, this little winding river, and there's, there's these kind of hills and mountains on each side. It was pitch dark. There's no light anywhere. And we'd been, I don't know what it was. We'd been talking about this, or I'd seen the movies somehow. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I was, I think I was eight or nine years old, maybe 10. But I remember in the car, pitch black, and in the sky appears a huge, white, bright light. We couldn't figure out what it was. It seemed to be stationary, and it just kept coming closer, like, like bigger and bigger. It wasn't moving across the sky. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is it. If my parents are going to disappear, then we're going to drive off the road. If I don't make it, I'm going to die. <laughs> I wasn't sure what was. I wasn't sure as an eight-year-old if I was going to make it. I was a very spiritual child. Uh, but I, but I, I remember this this thing of dread about the end. What I want to talk about today is that I don't want you to fear the end. I don't want you to read into all the eschatological passages and be afraid. I want you to see that God, even in Daniel's day, was looking forward, was providing something, was giving hints, was giving understanding, and some things he didn't understand at all. And so we're going to start with what Jesus said about these ideas. Matthew 24, verse 3. It's in your message notes. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. Everybody's interested. They're like, tell us when. Tell us when it's going to happen. How's it going to happen? 
And Jesus essentially in the next few verses says, look, I'm, I don't know when. Only the Father knows when all this is going to happen. Only the Father knows. The angels don't know. I don't know nothing. I can't tell you the times, Jesus said, but I can tell you about the signs. Let me tell you about some signs. Let me give you some, some ideas about the signs. Every, and here's the problem. Everybody not wants to know when. You ain't going to find out when. It's not going to happen. One passage says that the, the, the Son of Man will come like a thief in the night. He's going to come with total, uh, un, as an unex, in an unexpected moment, in an unexpected way. And so you, you, that's not what we should waste our energy on is when. You can put together all your charts and maps and all that stuff. And that's, I mean, that's kind of fun, but it's really not life-changing. When is not life-changing. What we want to spend all of our energy on is readying ourselves for that day. Getting ready for that day. Getting ready for Christ's return. Being, being willing and, and ready to respond to God and to what he's doing in our culture. And here's the problem. Every generation has thought they were the last ones. Every generation thought they were the last ones. I just listened to a guy the other day. He was preaching on this topic, and I was listening to it, and he was like, this is it. We have all the signs. They're all happening right now. And people have been saying that for a long time. So you, so you have to realize that, that here's, here's what I know for sure. As your pastor, here's how I would coach you. We are closer now than ever before. <laughs> I know. It's deep stuff. Just stay with me. We are closer now than ever before. And so here's what Jesus says in, in verse 12 of, of Matthew 24. He starts to say, here's what's going to be the signs of the coming. There's going to be an increase of wickedness. An increase of wickedness. There's going to be a moral decay that starts to show itself. Now, what you can see, depending on your knowledge of history, like we tend to have a... a American-centric view of history, when we're like the shortest, um, uh, shortest living uh, nation in existence, right? There's just so many other points of view. But you can look back through history and you can see cycles of increase in wickedness. And what I find when you look at prophetic writings, when you look at what Daniel says, when you look at what other writings within the scripture, you will see that there is something that God is saying for the hearers in that moment, in other words, the context, the people that God is talking to in that moment, and then we get to look into that scripture and we can see that this is the way it almost always works. In other words, there's a template upon which we lay all this historical and prophetic uh, readings and writings and we can see the patterns and this is how it happens. There's an increase of wickedness. Wickedness is always trying to increase. And the love of most will go, grow cold, Jesus said. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Standing firmed, standing firm. And this gospel of the kingdom, he says, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. There's a way of thinking about this verse that, 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 that Jesus is coming once every ethno-linguistic people group. That's what this word nation is. It's ethno. It's not a nation state. It's a people group. And there are 
unreached people groups on the planet still, but here's what's happening. For, the, for really the first time, we're living in an age where we know what the unreached people groups are. We can count them. We can, we can hit them one at a time. Bible translators, missionaries being sent, people going into the unreached people groups of the world, and we can, in a sense, speed the day of Christ's return. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. The reason we give the first 10% of everything that comes into our church to missionaries is because we believe in this concept. You give to this idea every single month. There is a, a, a commitment to making sure that the gospel's going forward into the, the dark places of the earth where they can receive the light of Jesus. And so here's what, here's what Jesus continues on. In this little section, he says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, Jesus is, is saying, yes, Daniel saw it. And then he says, let the reader understand. You know why Matthew says, let the reader understand? Because it's hard to understand all this. The abomination that causes desolation. Some people think that's a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Other people think it's off in the future in the great tribulation that is to come. And so we, I think we have to, instead of spending a lot of time on when and how it all works, I think we have to spend time readying ourselves and how should we do that? That's what we want to talk about today. So whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, Post-trib, some of you are like, what's a trib? I don't even know what you're talking about. Others of you are like, yeah, you better preach the right one, pastor. <laughs> People think Jesus is coming back at all these points along the history line and along the, the prophetic line. They, 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 they put it all together with their charts and graphs. And they, he, he's gonna, here's, here's what I would say to you. I'm hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. <laughs> I'm hoping that we get out of here on the first elevator, but I don't have a lot of hope for that. I, I, I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. That's my personal view. So, so but, but, but here's the thing. No matter what, I kinda, I'm kind of a pan-trib guy. It's all going to pan out in the end. That's right. So here's a quote by John Mark Comer, who's a great pastor and author. He says, too much speculation about the future tends to rob us of the value of the scriptures for the here and now. And so we start with Daniel 12, and we look, we're, we're going to look into this vision and this, this prophecy that he, that he receives. He says, verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, Michael, the great prince, would be Michael, the archangel, who was the archangel over war and over answering prayers. He says, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Daniel is seeing forward. He's hearing what is, what is after the Messiah. Every name who's, everyone whose name is found written in the book, that's you and me too. Your people... Notice what it says, will be delivered. Will be delivered. This prophecy is about the future of God's people. We will be delivered. And we can look back all throughout biblical history and see God delivering his people over and over and over and over and over again. And even when they fail, and even when they're in big trouble because of their own doing, he is interested in delivering them. Delivering them from their sins delivering them from tyranny. 
It's true for you today, personally, just as true as it was all throughout biblical history. And so there's something that's gotta give, is what this first verse is saying. Something's gonna happen. God is gonna intervene. Something must be done. Something has to annihilate this terrible cycle of violence and tyranny once and for all. And so this verse two says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This sounds a lot like the, the coming of the son of man, the coming of Christ. People who sleep in the dust, a reference to Genesis three, uh, from dust you came and dust you will return. All, of who are, all who are dead in the ground will awaken. And this is one of the first nods to resurrection in the, in, the, um, in the Old Testament, you will be brought back to life. Some people are going to, be, to rise to everlasting contempt, separated from God, and other people are going to rise to everlasting life. Verse three, those who are wise, ooh, stop right there. Those who are what? Those who are wise. The reason we're sitting in here today, going through the scriptures, worshiping God together, is because we want to be wise. We want to have wisdom. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What this passage says is those who, are, who know the truth are radiant. Daniel has been a picture throughout this book of shining the, the wonders of God, the mysteries of God Daniel talks about. He, the King Nebuchadnezzar was, had this mystery, mysterious dream and he couldn't figure it out. And Daniel said, the God who speaks, who reveals mysteries is going to reveal this dream to you. And he, so this is a reference to influence and this is, this is what Daniel was. He was an influencer, he was shining and then there's a projecting forward. This is how God's people will be even in suffering, even in difficulty. Before they're delivered, verse 4 says, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. So, so here's, a, here's a, he's telling, he's telling Daniel two things. He says, number one, um, just wrap it all up. Just close it all up. <laughs> the angel's kind of saying, you're not going to really get it all. Just close it up. Because people are going to go here and there. In other words, Life is going to pick up speed, and knowledge is going to increase. And just to encourage you, we're, because we're so close to the day that is coming when Christ returns to the earth, I want you to see that, that it is so easy for us to travel everywhere that we want to go. If you have a credit card, you can get on a plane here in Austin and be in Shanghai in 15 hours. The vision says that everything's gonna kind of pick up pace. People are just gonna be going here and there, and they're gonna be they're gonna be increasing in knowledge. And here's a fascinating stat. Knowledge, researchers say, scientists say that it came, information, it took all of time in history till about 200 years ago for knowledge to double. There was a time when everybody thought everything that was that's known can be known, and then all these things got discovered. <laughs> planets and how they, all these things internally, we discovered the, the very microscopic elements 
of our DNA. I mean, there's, there's so many things that have been discovered. But here, 200 years ago, knowledge had doubled. It took about 50 years for knowledge to double after that. It took 30 years after that for knowledge to double again. Now, what they say is today, every, every two years, knowledge and information is doubling. Oh, my gosh. I'm overwhelmed just saying it. And there's, there, so, so there is a speed at which, which knowledge is coming. But listen, knowledge by itself won't save you. It won't rescue you. You can't get smart enough to figure all this stuff out that you're trying to figure out in your life. You can't get smart enough to figure out what's going to happen and when. So you gotta rely on someone. You gotta have a different approach. The angel says, now roll it up and put it away. And suddenly the text shifts like a camera, like we're, we're, we're filming an idea, and it just shifts to this next idea, verse 5. It says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and therefore before me stood two others, one on, this bank of, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, man clothed in linen is, we could see him from earlier dreams, but most Bible scholars believe that is a theophany, that is a, a revelation. The Son of Man is appearing to Daniel. That's Jesus himself. And so the, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? So two guys appear here. They ask the man in, in clothed in linen, how long will it be? Once again, when? Tell me when. I got things to do. Give me the time. This is, this is our downfall in our culture. Time is our most precious commodity, so we want to know when. We want everything to hurry up. And so he said, the first seven, so the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by himself, who, by him who lives forever. By him who lives forever. This is an Old Testament, even a, an Old Testament reference point of God swearing by himself who lives forever, saying it will be for a time, times, and a half a time. <laughs> Most Bible scholars really don't know what that means. They, 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 put, they, they put ideas into it, but they project their own interpretation, which, by the way, isn't bad. Interpretations are bad. It's just you have to remember that we all have one. And then there are respected interpretations that we all need to embrace and not get off into crazy heresy and, and things that aren't biblical, okay? So, so, but these interpretations, time, times, and half a time, this kind of suggests to me and to other Bible scholars that they, once again, not really interested in telling you exactly what the time is. <laughs> when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. <laughs> Verse eight, check this out. Check this out. Look, look, look what Daniel says. I heard but I did not understand. <laughs> this, is like, this is like refrigerator verse material for husbands. This is like, this is your, like your life verse. I heard you, sweetheart, but I did not understand. What, did you, what are you saying? <laughs> He's, and then he says, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? So he tries a different tact. He's not going to talk about women. What's, what is the final outcome going to be? How will this thing end? Verse 9. Look, this is the last part of the, of the book. This is the last part of this chapter. He says, he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. From the time 
None of the wicked will understand, sorry, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. That's a little hint. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As for you... <laughs> I know, I know, it's, and, and, and this is why charts and graphs is part of everybody's eschatology, because you've got to fit those in somewhere, and no, no view fits perfectly. That's the problem. And so you've got to fudge, and you've got to come up with your own interpretation. As for you, go your way till the end. If you have a pen, you should underline this in your, in your Bible. You want to highlight it? This is, this, is, this is it. Here, it's culminating. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What this is saying is rest is a symbol of death. You're going to die, and then you will rise again, and you'll receive your inheritance. This angel is saying, get on with your life. Go on your way. Keep doing what you've been doing. Keep trusting. Keep living as an, as an influencer. You're going to die. You're going to die before all this happens. You're not going to see it. And this would be a big deal for Daniel. Like, like as, a, as a person who belongs in another land, part of Jewish heritage would have been to, have, to be buried where your homeland is, where your fathers are buried. This is a thing. You're going to be buried in captivity. You're going to be buried in exile. This is the end of how this book ends. And honestly, as I was coming to the end of it, I'm reading these stories, I'm looking at it, I was like, I would have rather it just ended the lion's den. <laughs> so like, here's the lions, they're shut by, by God, their, their mouths are shut by God, and Daniel's delivered, and yay, this is awesome! No, there's a lot, of, there's a lot more things to have happen. I was really hoping that the end of Daniel would be more robust, more, more, um, more fireworks. Give me the show. Give me the, like, I want to see, like, wrap it up in a little bow like a good sitcom. I mean, after all, this is Daniel, right? This is Daniel, the, the dream interpreter, the king whisperer, if you will. He whispers to kings in their ears and he explains dreams and he, he's the seer of the future. It seems like there should be something bigger and better that he gets told at the end. But this is how it ends. So here's a question for you. How does Daniel find hope in this? How does Daniel find hope in this moment knowing he's going to die in exile? If you answer that question, you will likely find hope yourself. And this is the question, because there's something greater. How do we live in this culture? How do we live in our society as it is? How do we, of course, we've talked about being faithful. We've talked about being innovative, persevering, how to be patient in it. And we're not just talking about giving up stuff to be better. We're not talking about trying to get better. We're talking about being dependent on who God is. And there's something greater that we must grab a hold on. And I want to suggest to you that what is greater is hope. Hope is the, here's, here's how I want to define it, the absolute expectation of coming good based on the character of God. The absolute expectation of coming good based on the character of God. This is what you and I have to live with. This is how we have to live in exile. This is how we have to live in our culture where, 
where it seems like things are taking too long, where it seems like things are not changing fast enough. This is what we have to grab a hold of. It's been said by many, what you hope for shapes how you live. Whatever you hope for shapes how you live. If you're hoping for a boat and for a bigger house, that's going to shape how you live. If you hope for something deeper, more meaningful, more powerful in your life, your life's going to be different. I'm not, not talking about optimism. I'm not talking about thinking good thoughts, right? I'm not talking about uh, the, the religion according to Oprah. I'm not talking about Super Soul Sunday. You guys know what Super Soul Sunday is? The last service I mentioned this, and they're like, nobody knows what Super Soul Sunday is. This is probably better that you don't watch it. But it's, 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 it's essentially a kind of a spiritual optimism. Here's the problem with optimism. Optimism thinks the best, but it's rooted in your ability to do so. That's what optimism is. Hope has a different perspective. Hope is something totally different. Hope lies in what you believe rooted and dependent on another person to accomplish, not based on what you and I can think of, but on what God can think of. Ephesians Apostle Paul says, now to him who is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. This is where we put our hope. What we hope for and believe in is vital. And so here's what I want to suggest to you, that hope, when we look at it, it has four components. There's four things about it. I want you to see it. Hope means four things. Hope is rooted, number one, rooted in a promise, not in our circumstances. Man, so many people there are so consumed by their circumstances, so consumed by what's going on around them. They don't have hope in a promise or a person. They're just trying to think good thoughts on their way through it. When you look at verse one, remember how we talked about deliverance and how deliverance will come? If you look at that word, what you will find is that there's a picture in that word. As it was originally translated, the picture is of a, of a woman who is pregnant. And she is ready to have that baby. She is ready to pop, as we would say. And there is no keeping the baby in. It is good. As sure as the baby's coming out, it's not going to wait for the right day or the, what you think should happen. It's coming out. That's what deliverance is like with God. That as sure as that baby's coming, my wife had five babies. Every time she had a baby, she was like, she, she never grew this way. She always grew this way. So it's like, she, you'd see her from the back, and, oh, she doesn't even look like she's pregnant. Then she'd turn around and be like, oh my gosh, look at that. Like, is she ready to have it right now? Like it would, like, we, like there were so many times I was like, babe, are you ready to pop? Is this the moment? Because here's the thing. When the baby decides to come, there's no denying it. This is God's deliverance that is coming. We look to the person. Deliverance is sure. When you look around in Austin, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to lose hope. When you look around at what's going on in your life, sometimes it's easy for you to lose hope. You need to concentrate on your circumstances. It's easy to lose hope. And listen, lost hope is no hope at all. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Arrogance means you're putting your hope in something other than God. You think you can handle it. 
you're, you're, you're sitting here saying, why is Pastor Ross reading a verse about wealthy people? I'm not wealthy. Oh, yes, you are. You're in the top 5%, no matter who you are, no matter how much you make. Top 5% of the world, wealthy people. Because you live here. This verse is talking to you. Don't get consumed in all, this, all, all these concerns, all these anxieties about wealth and about everything that you can get, which is so uncertain, the Apostle Paul says, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. If you'll put your hope in him, he will provide for you. Number two, hope requires patience. Hope requires patience. You're thinking, uh, duh. <laughs> patience. Yeah, you gotta, you got to wait for it. But let's unpack this a little bit. Daniel had a lot of practice at patience. And you think about it. Think about it. He, he, did the, he, he, he revealed the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Then he revealed a different dream to Belshazzar. Then he drew, revealed a different dream to Darius. And then he's got all his own dreams. And each time you can imagine him thinking, oh, this is it. This is where everything's going to change. I shared the dream. Nebuchadnezzar, he's changing. He's discovering who God really is. And then no. Over and over again, he kept doing it. And I think we feel this way sometimes. Like, God, okay, I, I'm doing all the stuff that you want me to do. I, I'm, I'm trying to make it out. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to make it work. Why isn't this happening? It's because you and I want him to be our cosmic butler rather than the person you put hope in. The person you put hope in. And sometimes we, we feel like we, we're, we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And if, if you think about it, hope needs the future to, in order to even exist. Hope doesn't happen unless you have a future. Here's what Romans 8.25 says. I'll just read verse 25. It says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He says, but hope, verse 24 says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? That doesn't even, it doesn't even work. There is something that is in the future that we must wait for, that we must grab a hold of in hope. And I want you to see that when we wait, everybody say wait. I hate waiting. You hate waiting? When we wait and choose to wait with hope. Are you guys still with me? Are you guys still with me? Okay, it's like getting long and you're going to have to wait till the end. So you have, to, you have to practice what I'm teaching you right now. When we wait, we announce a dependence. We announce our dependence on God. Our dependence is declared. When we're willing to wait for him, when we're willing to look to him, we have no other options. We have nothing else. We, but we think waiting is a waste of time. Like, I could be doing so much. Like, God, you could be accomplishing so much if you just hurry it up. Waiting is where all the perseverance is built, where all the character is made. Waiting is where we learn our attentiveness to God. Waiting is where we understand how to be encouraged in what God has given us, not just what we can attain on our own. Waiting is this thing. I, I hate waiting. I, I hate waiting line. I'm not, no matter what line I go to at the grocery store, it's going to be the line where something bad happens. Have you ever done, you ever feel like that? I, I, whatever line I go to is where the machine gets broken or the person in front of me has 5,200 coupons and I have to wait there. <laughs> this summer we were, at, <laughs> we were at Disneyland, Disney World in Florida and we were riding all the rides and there's something called the Disney Fast Pass. Oh, 
I love the Disney Fast Pass. But you can only have like three or four of them in a certain blocks of hours. And so when you get through all the Disney Fast Passes where you're just walking right on the ride, then you gotta go back to the regular lines that it is lame. Like I'm at, I have to, I've, I don't think we waited more than probably 30 minutes. Third, like this is so lame, I have to wait 30 minutes. Listen, you think I'm making fun, but the truth is you want to live your life with as much speed as possible. You resist waiting. What I want to tell you is the fact that you have your hope in someone else and your hope is in the future, you have to live this way. You have to live this out in the current environment that you are in. Number three, hope demands that we look forward. Hope demands that we look forward, not backwards. Daniel was looking forward in this book. In chapter 12, he's asking about what's going to happen, not what has happened. The book says you will be raised. The end of the book says you will be raised, Daniel. But he's like, I don't know. When is this going to happen? How is it going to happen? How is it all going to come out is what Daniel asks. And I think sometimes we get consumed because we have to wait and we look backwards in regret. Some of you who have had to fight off cancer. It's like, a, it's like a thing. You can either deal with cancer by looking forward or looking backwards. You can deal with your, the failure in your marriage as looking backwards or looking forwards. You're trying to, trying to see what God is trying to do with you. Looking forward. Here's what Paul said to the Philippian church. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hope looks forward. It doesn't look backward. It doesn't spend a lot of time looking back and trying to fix or trying to, uh, feeling, uh, feeling a lot of regret or feeling sad or it's looking forward. There's a reason your car window shield, front windshield is huge and you got a little tiny rear view mirror. It's because where you're going is so much more important than where you've been. And you and I have to embrace this. Number four, finally, hope reveals our place in redemption history. This is really what Daniel is about. When we learn from Daniel about how to live in a culture that is not our own, or a, a society that doesn't respect what we believe, we're being coached by Daniel how to live out the redemption story that God is living through us, that God is revealing to us. We're the ones who reveal the hope to our culture. Listen, we, we have the solution that is, that to a world that is totally and utterly hopeless. You and I have it. But somehow, we don't grab a hold of it, and then it doesn't spill out of our lives into others. Because we're all in a hurry, too. Can I challenge you to slow down? Can I challenge you to understand that th this is not just about you? You ever meet somebody that's just, like, they just talk about themselves? Like, this is what I did, and this is where I went, and this is what, this is what I really think, and this is what I really believe. And oh, enough about me. What do you think about me? 
not all about you. It's about a person, his name is Jesus Christ. He is the centerpiece of all history, the central figure in all of history, and you have him. He's revealed himself to you. He's washed away your sins, wiped away your failures and your mistakes. He's given you hope for a future. Even in the midst of your pain, even in the midst of your battles, even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of the chaos that seems to go on in our lives, there is hope that we have to hold on to. Hope has to be the central theme of, our, of our, our, the way that we interact with Jesus Christ himself. He is returning. But I'll tell you this. You've heard me say this before. But the devil wants you to think that this is how it's always going to be. It's never going to end what you're in right now. There's no end to it. It's how it's always going to There is no next season. There's no next season. Can I just encourage you? There's always a next season. You know why? Because creation is built on seasons. God started at the beginning. Days, weeks, months, years, the rotation of the universe creates seasons. God is a believer in seasons. And there will be a next season. The devil wants to convince you that there's nothing. You're going to have to live this way the rest of your life. It's not true. You will be delivered. There is a new place for you to live. You may have to wait. You may have to grab onto hope. You may have to cling to Jesus in every way. This is who we are. This is who Daniel was. This is who Daniel's friends were in, in, in this, this book. And we have to understand that God's given us hope to release to others. Hebrews 11, 16 says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. All these people who went through all this stuff, the scripture says they went through all these terrible things, all these really, this great struggle in their lives. You should go home and read it. There it is. That's your homework. Your homework for today. Go home and read Hebrews 11. And you'll see that God says these are the kind of people who I'm not ashamed to be their God. The people who cling to hope. I want you to close your eyes, I want you to bow your head, and I want you to really ask this question of your own heart. How do you receive hope? How do you receive hope? If you're out of hope, if you're discouraged, if you're overwhelmed, if, you, if you're just sick of the way things are and you've lost hope, how do you receive it again? Proverbs says, Proverbs says that hope deferred makes our hearts sick. Some of you just feel so hopeless. Some of you are looking at our country and you just feel so hopeless. You feel so discouraged. I would say that for many of us, many of our people in our culture, their hope is in a political system or a political ideology or a politician themselves. It'll always disappoint. It'll always disappoint. The way you receive hope is you receive Jesus. You receive him. You welcome him. You hold on to him. You hold on to him instead of what you want. You relinquish what you want and you surrender to what he wants. This is how hope rises. 
Look to Jesus for hope. We're in the Christmas season. We're coming up to the, the moment of Christmas being revealed, the Advent season, and this is the season of hope. The Messiah was coming. We looked, the, the people of God looked forward to him coming. I would say to you today, look forward to his coming. Look forward to his arrival in your pain, in your problems, in your discouragement. Look forward to him coming because indeed he is on his way. He is with you. This is where we find hope. So I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with me. Maybe this is the first time you've prayed a prayer where you... <laughs> You've wanted hope so desperately. You didn't think about receiving a person as the solution to your hopelessness. But, but today, I want, you to, I want you to receive God's work. The, 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 the wonder, the person, the mystery of Jesus Christ who died on a cross. His sacrifice done for us his life laid down for you and for me he took my sin your sin all my failures all your failures on himself washed them away wiped them away in his death and then he was raised to resurrection life he was the first one to be raised Daniel was given the promise you will rise again Jesus wants to give you the promise you will rise again he wants to give it to you today and so would you receive him? Would you let him come? And maybe you believe you're a Christian. You, you, you've, you've, you've tried to follow Jesus, but you have realized you've been consumed by hopelessness. You've been putting your hope in a thing. You've been, you've been looking towards something that you can accomplish rather than true hope, true faith. I want you to pray this prayer too. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna lead you in it and I want you to follow me. Just pray it maybe in your own heart, under your breath right there. Father, we thank you for the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. That you are indeed even with us, even when we don't know you're near. The Bible says you're close to the brokenhearted, and so in this moment, some of us are brokenhearted. We need your nearness. Lord, Lord I'm, I need you desperately. I need you to, to be my hope. Forgive me for doing my own thing, for going my own way, insisting on my own way. I repent. I turn away from that. I look to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to your desires, your purpose, your will, your plan. Lord, come and take over. I'm making a mess out of my life. I want you to take over. Restore hope to my heart today. Show me how to wait. Show me how to be attentive to you. Show me how to live my life in a way that hope is central. I thank you for this. We thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your deliverance and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.